campus missionary here with Every Nation Twine Willows Congregation. If you are visiting us for the first time, I'd like to welcome you and my hope and my prayer this evening is that you get to experience God and not only just God, but you also get to experience spiritual family um, and thank you for joining us. Um, and so this week we are continuing our sermon series on counterculture and the topic that we'll be looking into this evening is Love God. It's a very simple title, very simple um, message, but it's something that we need to apply in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Loving God is something that is counterculture because everything in our culture is telling us to not love God. Everything around us is telling us to love anything and everything but God. Even what they teach us in, the, in school curriculums now is against God. What we see on, 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 in the news, on social media, is teaching us to love anything and everything but God. And one of the reasons I remember why I didn't want to become a Christian um, was simply because there were, there were people who proclaimed that they love God, but their lives look nothing like the God that they love. They, they were loving God on a Sunday, but Monday to Saturday, they were just doing their own thing. And I figured that this is not something I'd like to be a part of. So not only is it counterculture against the world, but it's also counterculture against religion. Where God isn't just calling us to love him on a Sunday, but he's calling us to love him day to day. And so my hope after this message is that we will make a, de a, a, a deliberate decision to love God every second of every day. And this evening we'll be reading from Deuteronomy 6, um, from verses 4 to 9. But before I, I open the scripture, let me just give you some context to the scripture. So this is after um, the Israelites were in the desert, right? Um, and Jesus had, I mean Jesus, and God had rescued them uh, from Egypt. And now God is telling them that I want to be your God and you be my people. I want to enter into a covenant relationship with you. And a covenant is, in simple terms, is a contract. And in order for a contract to be signed, there needs to be T's and C's um, attached to that contract. And so God appointed Moses as the leader of the Israelite community, and, and, and Moses went to God to represent Israel to find out the terms and conditions of this uh, covenant contract. But then the Israelites rebelled and decided to do their own thing. They went to Aaron, who was the chief priest, and they told Aaron, hey, Aaron, Make us a God um, so that we may worship it for bringing us out of Egypt. And so Aaron asked for all the gold that they had. And so they took the gold, they melted the gold, and then they fashioned for themselves a golden calf. I can just imagine God seated on the throne looking at this and saying, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, not this thing that you are making. But that's what the Israelites did. And even in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, there are golden calves that we make for ourselves. Things that we think will bring us freedom. Things that we think will bring us ultimate joy. Things that we think will, will satisfy our hearts and the longing and the thirst of our hearts. And we never go to God. Instead, we reject God and we make these golden calves for ourselves. 
When I was a student, I struggled with my purpose. I struggled with my identity. Uh, and the, the, I was around people, but I was still feeling lonely. And so I decided in order for me to, 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 to fit in with this culture that I'm in, I have to give myself over to this culture and do what the people in the culture are doing. And so I found myself um, with, a, with, a, with a dehabilitating um, addiction to pornography. I found myself um, smoking and drinking and doing what the culture around me was doing, thinking that it would satisfy. Little did I know that I was making my own golden calf, thinking it would bring me freedom, but it's leading me deeper into bondage. And I'm sure there's things that the Holy Spirit this evening will start to highlight in your life that you have made a golden calf. And then the, and, and the scripture starts with the following words. Yes. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. And when you see, as more specifically in the Old Testament, the L-O-R-D, Lord, in capital letters, it is Yahweh. Yahweh means he's self-sufficient, self-existent, that he was not created by any human hands. We, in our thinking, we, in our limited capacity, cannot create him as God, but he is God. He is seated on the throne. He has been here long before time was, and so we have a choice. It's either we hear these words or we reject these words. There is only one God. There isn't any other God. There is only one God. So, can you please stand as we read the scripture? So, Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the, on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks truth. We thank you that through the word, we get to see into your heart. We get to see into your nature, into your character, and we get to see what it is that you are calling us to. I pray this evening that, Father, you would pour out your love, that we would respond from a place of love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. So, the three things that we'll be looking into this evening. First and foremost, love is a command. Love overflows and love leads to action. Number one, love is a command. Love overflows and love leads to action. So in verse five, it says the following. You shall love the Lord, with your, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Love is not a feeling. Love is a command, and we have the choice whether to obey or disobey the command. Yes, feelings are part of love, but they aren't the entirety of love. Love is a choice that we make. One of the things um, I learned in premarital and as I was getting ready to get married was that 
the feelings that I have are good and they are great. But there comes a point in time in your relationship where you have to make a decision to love. It's not something where you just feel warm and fuzzy inside. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast once and this guy said, in the beginning, love is like a roller coaster. It's just wild. You go up and down and you're turning and you're in these loops and it just feels amazing. There's a thrill and there's a rush. But over time, it starts to be like you're riding a gondola on, on, on the canal and it's just gentle and it's soft and it's just quiet and, and that thrill that it isn't there anymore. It is in those moments that you have to make a choice to say, I will love this person. Because sometimes my wife knows how annoying I am, how irritating I am, and she has every single reason to say, I am out of this marriage. But she chooses to stay because she says she has made a commitment to love. This is what God is calling us to is that we aren't always Christian. There are moments where we want to walk away from God. There are moments where we want to disobey God, but we have the choice whether we are going to obey or disobey this commandment. Are we going to love or are we not going to love God? So love God because it is a commandment. And it says we should love God with all our, our heart and with all our soul and with all our might. In the Hebrew context, the word heart uh, represented three things. It represented your thought life, it represented your actions, and it represented your will. So when we love the Lord with all our heart, do our actions align with that reality, with that decision that we have made that we are going to love God? When we say we're going to love God with all our heart, do our thoughts align with that reality that we are going to love God with our thoughts? When we say we're going to love God with all our heart, will our emotions line up with the reality and the decision we made to love God? Because sometimes we think that we are ruled by our emotions, but rather the truth is that we rule our emotions. And our emotions need to submit and surrender to the word of God and not the other way around. Within our culture, one of the gods of the day is feeling. When you don't feel like doing something, you just don't show up to the party irrespective of what's required of you. When you don't feel like doing something, when you don't feel like loving someone simply because of an experience you had with them, you simply don't show up to the party because you have made a decision to not love. You are being governed by your emotions. One of the things I've seen uh, with, with, my, with my struggle with pornography is that it's a, it's a love thing. Is that in that moment, I have the opportunity and the choice to choose to love God. But I choose that I am going to listen to what's happening in my heart. I'm going to listen to what's happening in my thoughts. And I'm going to align everything with that. And I'm going to give in to that addiction. We see it with our friends that, you know, we are at an age now where our friends have money. Uh, there's work now. And they are governed by their love for money. If it doesn't bring them more money, it's not something they're going to do. And even in their interactions with you, it feels like they are pushing you towards that love of money as well. Simply because their God is money. Another thing on campus, a big God that's, that, that's on campus is anxiety. One of the things that liberated me um, was the fact that the teacher once told me that exams and tests are supposed to be the most stress-free period in your life. And I was like, nah, there's no way. That is not true. And then he said the following is that, what exams and tests are doing, they are asking you what you have. 
And the reason why it's stressful and the reason why there's anxiety around it is because you recognize that there's nothing in you to give. (laughs) Therefore, you get stressed. Therefore, you get anxious. But God calls us to be faithful with the little things. And so in that moment when we are anxious, it's not because of exams. It's because we're disobedient in loving God and we chose not to be faithful. Whereas if you are faithful daily, if you choose to love God daily, exams should be the most stress-free period in your life. And I remember, and I put this to the test. Guys, I genuinely put this to the test. Someone said that they play Xbox day before exams. And I was like, there's no ways. I'm going to put this to the test. So I put it to the test. I was faithful each and every single day. I made sure that today's work is done today. And by the time exam season came around, I did not study. Because I'm like you said, if I am faithful and these tests are asking what I have inside of me, then it's going to be great, right? And it was great. And it worked out. It wasn't stressful. It wasn't anxious. Simply because I made the choice to say, God, today I'm going to love you. And how am I going to love you today? I am going to be faithful with the little. It's the same even when you start working. Be faithful with the little. It's a sign of you loving God because your actions, because your thoughts and your feelings are all aligned with this one truth that you shall love the Lord with all your heart. We shall love the Lord with all our soul and with all our might as well. That everything that is in you should love God. That is the command that we are given to love God with our entire being. That we leave nothing out. That we leave ourselves poured out for the Lord and we love him with our all. We love God with what we think. We love God with what we do. And we love God with what we feel. The second point is love overflows. As I was thinking about love overflowing, the next text says the following. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. One of the things I love about um, Estian, Estian is so consistent in loving affordable meals. So consistent. If anyone knows Estian, they know that he will point you to where the most affordable meal is and he will always vouch for it. He teaches you to find all the specials and all the deals. What I love about Anna, also she is so consistent in her love for the nations that every time you interact with her, it is hard to leave not feeling like I need to go on a mission. I need to align my purpose with what the Lord is doing in the nations. There are moments where I'm like, God, I'm leaving, I'm gone. Anna said we must go to the nations. Let's go. And God's like, hold up. Anna's not God. Simply because she loves, simply because Estian loves, teaching just overflows. One of the things I love about Jonathan Dolman as well is that he loves order and structure. Every time you speak to him, he will tell you that things need to be ordered, things need to be structured. You need to communicate early, you need to communicate on time so that he can plan and that people's time is honored. One of the things I love about Ruan Ras is that he loves swimming. That he will tell you about his swimming and he prioritizes it in his schedule. And he tells you about the different races that he's going. He tells you about training simply because he loves swimming. One of the things I love about Barnard over here is that he's a lover of quizzes. And he will tell you all things about quizzes as well. And this is something that just flows out from him. You don't have to press him and say, Barnard, tell me about quizzes. He will just naturally tell you about quizzes without having you ask for it. 
What I love about Wenji as well is that her love for meat is so strong <laughs> that at the 10-year camp, she bought a pork chop that was half her size. <laughs> she loves meat. She'll tell you about meat. She'll tell you about great meat. It's it just overflows from her. It's not something that she has to think about. Abraham loves making disciples training because it changed his life. And he will tell you that you need to do making disciples training because it will also change your life. It is something that just overflows from his heart. And that's the thing about teaching is that we naturally teach about the things that we love. Is that it's not, sometimes when people teach and they don't love something, it does come across. You feel it. It feels heavy. It feels like a burden. It feels like something that I don't really want to be a part of. But when someone loves something, they do it from a place of love and it just comes out easy from them and it sounds enjoyable. And even if you hate that thing, you just start thinking, I really want to be a part of it. During the 10-year camp, I kept declaring my hate for camping. And because the people loved camping, they just kept sharing about camping. And there was a moment where I thought, maybe I should camp. But I caught myself and I was like, I <laughs> caught myself. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I love a warm bed. I love a roof. Let me stick with my guns. I hate camping. And so peep, when you love something, you are compelled to share knowledge and enthusiasm with others. Um, it manifests in explaining a concept, demonstrating a skill, recommending resources, or simply engaging in a conversation. How do you know someone loves reading books? They'll recommend a book to you. They'll always say, you must read this book. It'll change your life. You must read this book. It'll change your life. For those of you who are book lovers, this is just for free. This isn't part of the sermon. Did you know that in order to have a library, you need a thousand books? That's just for free. Um, we don't realize we're naturally teaching people because we are consumed by passion. Even though it isn't intentional but it is something that we do because of the passion that we have for the thing that we love. What would your class, what would your workplace look like if you're consumed by passion, if you're consumed by the love of God? Would the people around you want to love God as well simply because you do? One of the things about people who love hunting, they will tell you about hunting. They will go in detail, they'll explain everything that happened and you just want to go and experience it yourself because they're sharing from a place of passion. So it's not intentional to, to teach, but passion and insights naturally lend themselves to sharing information and insights. And what I love about the scripture, it says, you must use that passion to teach your children. So I know all of you don't have children in this room. But one of the things about children is that they know nothing. And you need to start putting foundations in place, something that they will live by so that 10, 15 years from the time you were parenting them, they will look back fondly to everything that you have taught them and they will live it out. Another thing that there's a saying that I've heard is, do what I say and not do what I do, simply because we recognize that in ourselves, we don't fully live out everything that we teach because we aren't perfect. We are human after all. But this is basically the heart of discipleship, that we have a passion for the Lord, that we teach those who know nothing about God, those who are young in their faith, those who are small in their faith, and we let them know that God loves you, God cares for you, and we teach everything that the Lord has taught us. 
But this teaching doesn't happen in a formal connect group setting. It happens when you sit in your house. And here's the thing about your house is that this is somewhere where you feel safe. This is somewhere where you feel comfortable. So this is where teaching is supposed to take place. Not only when you sit in your house, but when you walk by the way. So as you are going to campus, as you are driving to work, as you are doing life, as you are walking, we are supposed to be teaching people about God from the passion of God that we have. Not only that, but when you lie down, when you go to sleep, it is your most vulnerable state. You do not know what's happening around you. You're not aware. And sometimes as believers, when we go through a difficult time, when we're not aware what's happening around us simply because of the issues in our soul, a lot of times we choose not to love God and we run to the different idols that we have. But then there are Christians as well who actually do love God well when things aren't going well. And it says, when you rise, when you rise, you are finally aware of your surrounds. You are finally aware of your environment. There's a strength that you have. There's a joy that you have. And sometimes we don't love God in those moments simply because we think we've got it figured out. We think we are in control. But that's when we are supposed to love God. We're supposed to love God when we're in our place of comfort. We're supposed to love God as we are doing life. We're supposed to love God when we are in our most vulnerable. We're supposed to love God when we are in our strongest. Every single area of our lives, every single moment in our lives, we're supposed to love God. And from that place of love, we teach those who do not know much about God so that they can get to experience what we are experiencing. When you love God, there's a, there's a love that overflows and it touches the people around you. I had a friend who once told me that he wants to be like a sponge, that he wants to absorb so much of God's love that when anyone touches him, they are just wet with the love of God. What would our nation look like? What would our schools look like? What would our workplaces look like? What would the campus look like? if we're saturated with the love of God, that whoever encounters us, all they encounter is God's love. I remember I heard uh, Yakub Pizza, he's joining uh, Moiklov Church plant, that he led a Muslim to the Lord, and simply because he loved him. And he was teaching him about God. He was teaching him about what God has done in his life. And this guy would spew hate at him, and his response was always love, because he was teaching from a place of passion. We see that people's lives were being touched and transformed because of the love of God that overflowed in his life. And lastly, love leads to action. It says here, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So for those of you who do not know what a frontlet is, because it's something that's very common in our fashion, um, all the youths are wearing it. It's the rage of the day. Uh, a, frontlet, a frontlet is a decorative headband worn on the forehead, right? So it's like a bandana, but not really a bandana. Um, and so what uh, would be on the frontlet of that, the Israelites took it literally. So they put this frontlet and they put the words on it, holiness to the Lord. Um, and that was to symbolize to the world that, hey, I am set apart for God. Um, I belong to God. So it's just on their forehead, holiness to the Lord. But that's not what God is calling, that's not the action God is calling us to, right? So don't leave here and wanting to put something around your head and say holiness to the Lord. It's that our, the love for God that we have is actually supposed 
to influence how we see the world and how we think about the world as well. Is that when you look at the desire for the protests that are happening tomorrow, what are your thoughts? Are your thoughts in line with the golden calf of politics or are they in line with the word of God? Because the word of God is clear. It says um, in Second Chronicles uh, 17, if I'm not mistaken, it says, fast and uh, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, repent and pray, I will heal the land. The simplicity of that word is that the land is broken. Are we humbling ourselves so that God can heal the land? Are we spending time fasting and praying for our nation so that we can see God heal the land? A lot of the time we have put in our hope in our politicians who don't have the answers because they themselves are limited in what they can and cannot do. But God is unlimited in his power, in his glory, in his might. He's self-existent. He's self-sustaining. He was there before the formation of the world. And he knows what the solution to the world is. So when we love the Lord, it's supposed to shift our perspective of how we see and what we think about the world. When you interact with someone who is part of the LGBT community, is it the words that are coming out of their mouth that influence how you see them? Or is it the word of God that influences how you see them? <coughs> because first and foremost, the word of God says they are an image bearer. And therefore, we ought to treat them with the dignity and respect of an image bearer. But we align our thoughts and our actions with the word of God that says God created all men, created male and female in his image. And so it's not dishonoring to stand up for the truth, but it is honoring them because we are standing in agreement with the word of God. Not only should it change our thoughts, not only should it change the way that we see the world, it also speaks of posts, doorposts. And doorposts were used as a sign of wealth and status. The word of God, our relationship with God should be the sign of our wealth and status. That the riches we have should be in our relationship with God. That the status we have should be that we are sons and daughters of God, not by our position in work, not by what God is calling us to, but by the fact that we are sons and we are daughters. It also says we should write uh, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on, the, on your gates. And so here's, here's what gates represented um, in biblical times. Number one, it served as protection. So gates were the main entry points. To this day, we, we have a gate, main entry point into this property, main exit point out of this property, right? It's there for protection. Commerce. Gates were also important for commerce and trade. Uh, merchants and traders would often set up shop near the gates to sell their goods to travelers entering or leaving the city. It was also a place where justice was served. Gates were often the sites of legal proceedings and judgment. Elders and judges would gather at gates to settle disputes and decision administer justice. It also had religious significance. In the Old Testament, gates were also significant for religious purposes. The gates of the temple in Jerusalem, for example, were considered holy and were guarded by priests. The psalmist wrote, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, your ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Psalm 24, verse 7. So, gates are used for protection. Gates are used for commerce. Gates are used for justice. Gates are used for religious purposes. Are you allowing the love of God and the word of God 
to define your protection. Because when you write the word of God on your gates, you're not saying you are trusting in the gates for protection, but you are trusting in God for your protection. Commerce. All you young adults who are here who are in the marketplace, how you conduct yourself in the marketplace, is that defined by the word of God or is it defined by the culture of the workplace where you find yourself? Our relationship with God should be the one defining it. On university, how you conduct yourself in your studies, is it defined by the word of God? Are you being faithful with a little? Are you being diligent to, to learn each and every single day? Are you allowing the culture of the university to influence how you study? Where because people are leaving things to the last minute and they study the night before, you also do the same and you aren't faithful with a little. And how we seek justice in our nation. Is protest the only way we can get justice? Or can God deliver justice? And lastly, religious purposes. Is that are you doing Christianity in your own strength outside of God? Or are you going to allow God to define to you what it means to be a Christian? Because the word of God gives us clarity in that regard. And so the word of God, as it's binded, as a sign on our hands, it affects how we see the world. It affects how we conduct ourselves um, in terms of protection, how we conduct ourselves in the marketplace, on campus, in our, in our schools. It defines how we conduct ourselves when it comes to issues of justice in society. The word of God defines how we ought to conduct ourselves as sons and daughters of the most high God. That's what loving God does, is that it leads us to make a decision whether we're going to obey or not, love overflows, and love calls us into action. And so as I close off, I have a question. It sounds, it's a simple question, but it has profound implications for your life. Is do you love God? And when I ask do you love God, are you daily making a deliberate choice followed by deliberate actions to love God. Because even I, most times, fail at that. There are days where I just get up and go about my way without spending time with the Father and hearing from Him. There are days when I do church religiously because I'm required to be here, but I'm not here because of love. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, If you've been a believer for years, it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. You've been a believer for five days, for five minutes, for five years, for 50 years. But you recognize that you haven't been intentional in making a decision in terms of loving God. Making that deliberate decision followed by deliberate action to say, God, today, no matter what happens, no matter how I'm feeling, I am going to love you. And you want to make a recommitment to say, God, here I am. I want to love you. Could you please put your hands up so I may pray with you? Thank you for all those hands. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for each and every single hand that has gone up. Thank you, Father, that you see them. Thank you, Father, that like the prodigal son who left your presence, that, Father, you are at the gate waiting for them, waiting for them to return. And thank you that as they put their hands up, this is a sign of them returning to say, Father, I will love you. I'm going to 
make a deliberate choice followed by deliberate actions each and every single day to love you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help them to love, serve, and obey you all the days of their lives. name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And lastly, if you are sitting here and you have never, with your eyes closed, head bowed, if you have never made the decision to say, God, I want to love you. I want to live my life for you. I have been doing my own thing. I have been making golden calves out of alcohol. I have been making golden calves out of my addictions, out of drugs, out of, out of the approval of my friends. And you today want to say, God, I want to love you. Could you please put your hand up so I may pray with you? I see those two hands. Oh, I see all those hands. Can I ask you guys to do something bold? That you would come to the front so that we may pray with you and that we may celebrate the decision that you are making. Because as you're committing to love God, you're not loving God alone, but you're loving God within family. Because everyone around you, they also want to love God and they recognize they can't do it alone, but they need people. So if you just put your hands up, could you please come to the front? And could you give them a round of applause? still wants to come, there's still time. Cool. This is a great decision that you guys have made. You guys will not regret this decision. I've challenged people countless of times that take the word of God, put it to the test, and you will see it is worth it. Relationship with God is worth it. So, you can close your eyes um, and just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you as a son or a daughter. Father, I say, I want to love you. Father, forgive me for the golden calves that I've made in my life. And Father, I repent and I turn to you. Father, help me to love, serve, and obey you all the days of my life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Could you please follow Estian? Um, he's going to take your details and he's going to get you plugged in into family. Um, yeah, so please follow Estian. Uh, let me just pray for us as I close. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. And I ask, Father, that you would reveal your great love to each and every single person. I pray that we would leave this place making an intentional decision followed by intentional actions to love you, to serve you, to obey you, all the days of our lives. Father, in the moments when we, we choose not to love you, I pray that you'd remind us that we are not condemned, but we are sons and daughters and we are welcome back in our Father's presence at any moment and at any time. All we have to do is repent. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.